Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the holy written word of God. And Father, we thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we'll walk in the light of your word. And we will do, Lord, what your word says. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you will help us, you will assist us, you will lead us, you will guide us, and you will direct us in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Father, tonight I ask you to think through my mind and speak through my lips as the very oracles of God. And Father, we give you the praise and honor for this in advance. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I was going to say earlier before we were arrested by the Holy Ghost. You know, I've been arrested in times past. The best way to get arrested is by the Holy Ghost. (laughs) I, I have proven that out. Oh, that's the best way to get arrested. I mean, because if the wrong folks arrest you, they handcuff you and, you know, take you off to jail. But if the Holy Ghost arrests you, he sets you free. Thank God for it. It's good to see you. Good to be here with you. Turn to St. John. I just seem to have this in my spirit, and I pray that we don't all pass out from this, but I believe that you can handle it because it may be kind of heavy for you. You know what I mean? But I, undoubtedly, this is the way the Holy Ghost wants me to go. We're going to follow Him. Isn't that right? But uh, we're believing that God is building His church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. St. John, where did you tell me to turn? Chapter 16 is what you told me. Isn't that right? St. John chapter 16 is what He told me. So I'm going to follow my instructions well. St. John chapter 16, verse number 7. This is what uh, Jesus said before he goes away, you know, and is caught up into heaven. Actually, he's, before he goes to the cross, goes to the garden and so on forth, and then crucified, buried, and then takes off to heaven. But in, in St. John chapter 16, verse number 7 says, Nevertheless, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is expedient, which means advantageous, which means necessary for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. We need the Holy Ghost today. Isn't that right? We need the Spirit of God in our life. When I say Holy Ghost, I mean Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, all one. I mean, it's just several ways to say it, but it means the same thing. It's the Spirit of the living God. Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit's not two different spirits. You understand? It's one Spirit of the living God. So he said it's, it's necessary, it's advantageous, good if I go away. And then he talks about what he's going to do when he comes in verse number 13. He said, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come. Notice here he calls him the spirit of truth. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is also the spirit of truth. So if you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you, you're going to know the truth, and the truth is going to make you free. Free from what? Free from the bondages of the devil. Free from bondages of the men. Free from bondages of false doctrine if you follow the Holy Ghost. It says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, says he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Notice this, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. Notice that. I want to take that phrase out of this verse, and I want to talk to you about what the Lord led me into and guided me into that I believe that will help you as I was praying this afternoon, this evening, and on the way here and praying before the service with you. This began to come up in my spirit, and I kept kind of arguing with the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't think I should share that here. You see, you got this right, Lord? You know what I mean? I think we ought to put this on the back burner and next, wait till next time. But I want to talk to you about, he said, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. I want to talk to you about a truth, not the, all the truth that I've learned about this, and I certainly don't know it all. But he said he would lead you and guide you into all truth. So I begin to learn truths and get glimpses of revelation about the authority that we have as individuals in this earth. There is, you know, different teachings and different ideas 
you know, about the sovereignty of God and, and the authority of man and the authority of God and the insovereignty of man. And, you know, and somebody said, well, God's in control of everything that happens on the earth, uh, you know. And I heard another minister say, well, if he is in control of everything that happens on this earth, he sure has things in a mess. But if you look at through the scriptures, which we're not going to have the time to cover every scripture on this particular subject, and that's not my point. In fact, I, I thought I should preach another particular message, but we're going to follow the Holy Ghost. We need to hear this. Isn't that right? But uh, I begin to get revelation about the authority that I have and that you have as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have more control of our destiny than I believe that any of us have ever realized. Whether we live or die, whether we're successful and prosperous or whether we're a failure, we're really more in control of that than anybody else on this planet. Uh, and your success or failure is not necessarily left up to God, however He's involved in it. Uh, if you're going to rise up in life, there are some steps that you've got to take in order to do it. But uh, I begin to learn some of these things. Uh, and actually, when I started on this learning journey, it's back, on, back there... Uh, let me see, what year is this? 2017. That's where I carried the pastor with me so he can keep up and find out where I'm at. 2017. So I would say this has been about uh, 12 years ago that uh, I began to learn some of these things about my spiritual authority and about the authority that individuals have in their life, especially when it comes to living and dying. And I know this is kind of a heavy subject, but... Uh, just hang on. I was coming out of Alabama. You ever been to Alabama? Well, I was in Alabama, and I was preaching over in Alabama, and I was preaching in a kind of a weekend meeting, kind of like I've been here, you know. And I got up on Sunday morning to leave there, and I had not flown my airplane there because it, it wasn't really that far away that I went, you know, three and a half, four hours or something. That's not very far for me. I have driven nonstop across the United States. However, I pray those days are gone forever. Amen. How long did it take you, you asked? Driving time was 49 hours nonstop. And that's from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean. Wow, that's what I said. I was no good. I don't know what I said for two days after the experience because it just gets you all messed up. But I had been in Alabama preaching in a meeting. I got up on a Monday morning. I'm talking about the authority people have in their life and uh, what they can do and how they can stay here on earth or they can go if they want to. But I, I didn't understand some of these things. I'd heard uh, Dr. Kenneth e. Hagin, we called him Dad Hagin's a term of endearment, talk about some of these things and, and get around the edges of it, but I never grasp a revelation of it. You know, you can know something but not have a revelation of something. Like we all know the Word, but we might not have revelation of the Word. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm coming out of Alabama. When I got up, I, I was packing up to leave the hotel on a Monday morning and drive back to Columbus, Georgia, where I lived at the time. And suddenly, I had a sense of death. Now, I don't know how to describe it. Uh, but I had a sense of death, and I knew somebody was going to die. And any time that I've ever had that, I knew it was usually somebody close to me, somebody that I knew. And, and I began to pray about it, you know. And then as I drove along praying, and just meditating, trying to pick up in the Spirit, you know, what I was sensing about death, you know, because I thought, what is this? You know, just a foreboding kind of sensation that something bad was going to happen, even to the point of death, you know. And I thought, well, what is this? And by the time I got home and I walked in my, my house and my wife took one look at me, and she said, honey, what in the world's wrong with you? I said, I, really? I said, there's nothing physically wrong with me. She said, well, it looks like there is. You know, it's because I was always one to be vibrant and joyful and happy, you know, and joking and carrying on, you know. But uh, she said, you almost seem sad. She said, you almost seem depressed. And I said, well, to tell you the truth about it, honey, I said, I sense that somebody's going to die. She said, it ain't me, is it? 
That's the first question you already always ask. It ain't me. That's good country talk for city folks. It ain't me, is it? And she had seen how God had used me over the years because I had had experiences where I, I sat down. One to, like one time I was down in Florida, and, and I was out to eat with a pastor one night after this service. He's a wonderful man, nice man. Everybody liked him, you know, a, a good spiritual man as far as I know. And I was sliding into a booth because we were going to eat, and he was still stand, standing up, and he was talking to me. So when I looked up at him, I seen a white mask on his face, and the Lord said, Sunday, he'll die, fall dead in his pulpit. And I said, oh, my Lord, I don't know what to order now. <laughs> said, said, did you tell him that he's going to fall dead in his pulpit? No, I didn't. Because sometimes the Lord shows you things, and I begin to pray about it. And the Lord said, things can be changed. But to make a long story longer or shorter, if you know me, I can do it both ways. <laughs> but he fell dead in his pulpit while he was preaching. His heart stopped, bang, he hit the floor. Well, I've had experiences along these lines. I don't pray to have these experiences. You don't want to have these experiences. So this sense of death, and I, I could tell you other stories, but I don't want to prolong the service, you know. I want to hold you in captivity too long. You know what I mean? I don't want God to send uh, Moses and Aaron down and say, let my people go, you know. <laughs> but I had that sense of death. By the time I got home, it was on me strong. And I, I, my wife said, honey, what is it? I said, I don't know. Somebody's going to die. She said, it's not me, is it? It's not any of us. Is it my mom? Is it my daddy? You know, anything like that. And she knew I didn't joke around about stuff like that. I didn't. I mean, I was serious when it came to that. A lot of times I wouldn't even say things to her I was seeing because I didn't want to upset her. You know what I mean? Didn't want to upset her because, and, and didn't want her, to, you know, if, if I knew something was going to affect her, I mean, like her daddy uh, or her mama, I knew her mama was going to go to heaven, so I started talking to her about it. Started talking to her a couple of years ahead of time. You know, trying to get her prepared for it, you know, for, for her mama going. And I seen that she was going to go. And, and, and we just thank God that she did go. And she was born again. She was right with God. And my wife come through it, but it was a trying time for her, you know. But anyway, I, 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 that day, you know, I had to go to the office, you know, sign papers, all kinds of stuff that my staff had there, you know, answer things, phone calls, you know, it's all kinds of stuff that you have to do. And, but when I woke up Tuesday morning, the sense of death was on me so strong that I told my wife, I said, I can't function. I said, I have got to go. We had a place out away from town with a cabin on it and things like that that I could just go and pray and just seek God, just fast and pray. I said, honey, I said, I'm going out to the property today. And she knew what I was talking about. And I said, I'm not going to, don't let the office call me. I said, don't call me for any reason unless it's an emergency. And I said, you got my phone number, cell phone. You know, you can call me. And, uh, and I said, I'll, I'll respond to your call. I, I said, because I've got to pray about this. I said, because somebody's going to die. And I said, so strong on me. I said, I'm going to make sure it's not me. <laughs> I mean, cause, you know, because it's real strong that somebody's going to die. And so I got to praying. And so I went out there, and I just fasted and prayed all day long, you know. And I'd sit down, you know, in some of the chairs that we had there at the cabin, and, and then I'd study the Word. Sometimes I would kneel down. You know, sometimes I would walk around. Sometimes I would sit down. Sometimes I'd just lie down, you know, just praying and seeking the Lord. And that's putting up my spiritual antenna, you know, about it. Well, late that evening, it, it, came to me, it kept coming to me, uh, uh, Pastor Danny Wallace. Pastor Danny Wallace, it kept coming to me, but I, I couldn't receive that. I, I knew that he had been encountering some physical problems, but every time I had talked to him, it was always a good faith confession, you know. He, he, was, uh, he, he had come through uh, Dr. Hagen's school, you know, Rainbow Bible Training Center. He knew about faith. Many miracles had happened in his ministry, like these pastors here had happened in their ministries. And I've just seen him as a man of faith. And, and, you know, that don't mean that you're not in faith when you have these things happen. But I didn't know what was going on. Because always when I talked to him, he would talk about coming from the doctor and he had a good report. You know, and so I'm just standing with him. Everything's going to be all right. But late that evening... Uh, I finally found out through a phone call, you know, that it was Pastor Danny Wallace. They had rushed him to the hospital, 
And the doctor said that he will never come out of the hospital alive. And I knew that that's what I had been picking up in the spirit. And I knew that, uh, that I had to get to where he was at. So immediately I called my wife and I said, Honey, I said, it's Pastor Danny Wallace. She said, Oh, no. She said, How did you find out? I said, Through a, a phone call that it was, I made. And I said, I just kept sensing it was something with him. And I said, they've rushed him to the hospital. And, they, and he had some physical problems, diseases that attack his body. And the doctor said that he's not coming out alive. He had had cancer, and it was like in the last stages and all that. It had always been a faith confession, you know, everything is all right. So nobody really knew the whole truth. Nobody knew what was going on. But the Holy Ghost knows everything, right? So here we go. And so I went home and I grabbed some clothes. Somehow I knew I'd be over there a week or more. I didn't know, but I just knew that in my spirit. So I got clothes, suits, you know, and everything. And I, and I took off. I found out what hospital he was in. And so I got into Charleston, South Carolina, because he lived in Monk's Corner. Anybody ever been to Monk's Corner? Well, you got to go to Charleston, South Carolina. If you go through Somerville, you know, down Interstate 26, you'll come to Somerville. And if you stay on Interstate 26, it'll come into Charleston, South Carolina. Well, still, you're not in Monk's Corner because you've got to turn around and go back north. In fact, if you turn left in Somerville, it'll take you right to Monk's Corner. So now you know how to get there said, does the monks live in Monk's Corner? I never saw one. <laughs> but they call it Monk's Corner. And he had a church there. In fact, his church was right next to Hellhole Swamp. In fact, he used to tell people, he said, I'm the last church that you'll visit before you go to hell. <laughs> Talking about Hellhole Swamp. <laughs> you know, and you better take advantage of it. A mighty man of God like your pastors and ministers are here, you know. So I knew how to get in the hospital, being a minister. I went through the emergency room, you know, late at night. Went in, found out, you know, exactly how I found out the room. Went up to the floor, walked in the room. He was in the kind of a tiny one-person room. When I walked in, I seen his son, I seen his daughter-in-law, I seen his mama, and I seen his wife. And I could see the distraught look on their face. They want me to grab him because they had seen me be used in the church over the years. I'm not bragging on me. It's God that does it, you know. And they wanted me to take him and throw him against the wall and command him to live. But I didn't have the anointing to do it. I could drag him out of the bed, but he's a pretty big fellow, even though he'd lost a lot of weight. And we'd have both probably slid down to the floor because there was no anointing on me to do it. In fact, I was kind of tired. Because I'd been up early that morning, then drove six hours to get there. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. And I'm an early-to-bed person usually, you know, and get up early. And I told him I prayed with the family right there, you know, try to bring comfort. And I said, well, I said, I know I'm not going to be any good to you or him if I don't get any rest. And I said, I've had my office call ahead because I knew I was coming over here. And I said, they've got me a hotel right here by the hospital. And I said, I'm going and get me just a few hours rest. I said, I'll be back at daylight in the morning. So the next morning, I got up and showered, dressed, put on my clothes, you know, and I came back to the, uh, to the hospital, and when I went to the room, there was nobody in it. It was empty. And I thought, oh, my God, he done died on me in the night. I shouldn't have left. I shouldn't have left. And one of the nurses saw me and, uh, th from the area and said, oh, oh, Reverend Greer said, you're looking for the Wallace family. I said, yes. She said, well, come over here and let me talk to you. And I thought, oh, boy, this ain't going to be good. She said, no, it's not bad. She said, we moved him out of this small room into one of the end corner rooms of the hospital because they're the largest rooms here. And she said, we're just going to let his immediate family, which it was a pretty big immediate family. He had three sons. All of them are married and, you know, and his wife and then his mother and his daddy. And he said, have room for everybody. She said, but you know, uh, Reverend Greer, she said, you know he's not going to make it, don't you? Well, I didn't respond, and I said, well, I said, you know, we're going to go in, and we're going to pray with him. That's the way I responded. She said, that's good. She said, because only a miracle can keep him here. She said, I've talked to the doctors. I've looked at his charts. said, he's not going to make it. She said, we didn't think he'd make it through the night, but he did. So I walked in the room. Of course, the family's glad to see me. I walked up beside his bed, but he was almost incoherent, but he could hear me. And I said, Pastor Danny, I said, if you can hear me, I said, squeeze my hand. And so he squeezed my hand. And I said, Pastor Danny, now, I don't want to go too far with this. You might understand it, but just pick it up later. God will show it to you. I said, I heard you calling me in the Spirit. Ha, ha, 
For there's places in the realm of the Spirit that you can go and attain to. If you will follow His plan and stay in a place of prayer, you will find out He will lead you and guide you and reveal to you things that nobody else on earth will know. But those things will be so. So, I said, I heard you calling me in the Spirit. And I said, I'm here. And I said, I got a hope to you. I said, I can feel you. You're heavy. Now, I'm trying to explain spiritual things with natural terms, but it's hard to do. But I knew I had a hope to him. And I said, uh, I said now, you've got to believe with me. And he kind of smiled. And I said, you're a faith man. He really smiled big then and squeezed my hand. I said, you've taught me about faith. We've preached together in faith. He preached in my meetings. I preached in his church. You know, I said, you're a man of faith. I said, I'm here. Everything's going to be all right. And we began to pray. His sons knew how to pray. His daughter-in-laws knew how to pray, like you do. You know what I mean? I mean, they got after it. And what I'm trying to say, there was no doubt and unbelief in that room. I mean, if people knew how to believe God, his mama was there praying. I mean, and she knew how to pray. I mean, she could pray heaven and earth together, and every devil in between had to get out of the way. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the way she was. His wife is there. She knew how to pray. But I noticed Mr. Bobby Wallace, his daddy, was not in the room. Because a lot of the church people were there trying to visit. Of course, the hospital wouldn't allow it. The doctors wouldn't because he's already on, they said, his deathbed. So they made all a large waiting room that was down in the lobby area of the hospital, way down, that all the church members, and there was quite a few of them, you know, friends and family and everything, that wasn't immediate family, they had to go down there. Well, I found out that's where Mr. Bobby Wallace was at. So he went up there praying, and I thought that was kind of strange. You know, even though I wouldn't say that Mr. Bobby Wallace was a real, real, real spiritual man, he still believed in prayer. You know what I mean? So we got to praying and uh, seeking God, and, and we was winning the victory. I could just tell it. Even though we was uh, uh, going kind of uphill at this, uh, uh, we was praying in the Spirit, and we was winning the victory. But about 5 o'clock that evening, and we'd been praying since about a little after daylight, you know. About 5 o'clock that evening, suddenly, Danny slipped, and I lost him. And I knew right then, something's gone wrong here. And the only way I can tell you is this. I, I have a boat, you know, an inboard-outboard ski boat. I, I, I don't think I even, I haven't started it one time this year. Might have started it twice last year. You know what I mean? Because I just don't have time for it. You know, I was, it was paid for years ago, and we'd been taking well good care of it. But my son, we used to go out kneeboarding, skiing, and all that kind of stuff. He was out training him, teaching him how to do it. But when my son starts to get in the boat, you know, it's got a ladder that goes down into the water, you know. And he'll come up to that ladder, and then he'll stick his hand out. Daddy, help me, and I'll reach out and grab him. But he's slicky from being in the water. You know, and I start pulling him. I say, now, hold on, son, hold on. I'm going to pull you up that ladder, you know. But if he's too slicky, guess what happens? He slips and falls back in. Can you tell when you lose the weight of somebody standing on the back of the boat just pulling on you? Well, that's the same way it is in the Spirit. Well, I knew Danny had fell back in the water, so to speak. And I knew I didn't have the answer, and there was no need to pray no more like I was praying because it wasn't going to work. Because Danny was with me before 5 o'clock, but at exactly 5 o'clock, he wasn't helping me no more. I knew that by the Spirit. Danny's not in this. i got to get him in agreement with it. It's not just my prayer. It's what he wants to do. Now, I didn't know how much that he had authority in this area, but I'm about to tell you. So I went to the hotel. I just walked out of the room because I didn't want to tell anybody because I knew they'd ask me a series of questions and I'd be interrogated in a nice way. What is God saying? Where are you going? What's up to? So I just eased out and shut the door and I went to my hotel, which is there close by, turned on some, uh, you know, uh, instrumental music and I got down on the hotel floor put my head between my knees in the carpet, and I started weeping and crying because I was sad about Danny. I didn't want to see him die. I mean, he had just, he just hewn out a church there at the corner of hell, you know, and had built a Pentecostal Word of Faith church in a place that they said it couldn't be done. Just like these pastors are doing. It can be done, I'm telling you. It will be done. And so I said, Lord, you're going to have to tell me about Danny. And that's about all the English I started praying, uh, prayed in. And I started praying in the Spirit. 
in other tongues. If you're not familiar with that, just hang around here a while and you'll learn about it. But it's in Acts chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Just read them. You'll find out about it. And the Bible teaches about it. Do you know, talking about, can I just take a little side journey for just a minute? Do you know what God thought the most important subject in the Bible was? You ever thought about it? Well, I didn't either. But the most important subject in the Bible, according to God, is the gift of tongues and speaking in tongues because he devoted an entire chapter in the Bible to speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14. No other subject in the Bible has an entire chapter devoted to it. None. But how many people don't take advantage of praying in the Spirit, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in other tongues? Many people don't realize it, and again, I'm not putting anybody down, but it is a benefit to pray in tongues and to be baptized with the Spirit. So I'm praying in the Spirit, and about 20 minutes into my praying, you know what I mean? Because I'm already in the Spirit, you know what I mean? And I'm just saying, God, you've got to tell me about Danny. And I'm just praying in the Spirit, and suddenly, the Spirit of God spoke to me, and this is what He said. He said, according to divine destiny... And based on present circumstances, he said, who you call Pastor Danny is going to die. I said, what, Lord? He said, according to divine destiny and present circumstances, he said, Danny is going to die. I said, Lord, your word says that you'll give us the desires of our heart. He said, what you don't know is that Danny has made a request to come and be with me in heaven. He don't want to fight no more. He's tired of his journey down there. And I said, Lord, he never told me that. He said, well, there's some things that people don't want other people to know. And he said, he's been just putting on a good face, so to speak. Yeah. Faith face for his children, his sons, his daughter-in-laws, his church. Because he's a faith preacher. But he said, according to divine destiny, based on present circumstances, Danny's going to die. Well, I knew the present circumstances. His body was attacked with cancer. I didn't know how bad until I got to the hospital and then heard the report. It was awful. It just spread throughout his body. It was shutting his organs down. And I said, Lord, I know about the present circumstances. I said, but I still know that present circumstances of the physical disease is not greater than your word. You are a miracle worker. And I began to remind him of the people that he raised from the dead. I mean, Lazarus was dead for four days. Four days. You don't tell me he's not a miracle worker. He was dead for four days and at least Danny's still breathing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And Jesus is telling me he's going to die? What does Jesus don't know about making a faith confession? <laughs> yes, I'm not disrespecting the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. He made a faith confession about Lazarus when he was dead for four days. And you remember when he finally got to the tomb, he said to, you know, take away the stone. And they said to him, Mary and Martha, his sister, said, by this time he's stinking. He's been dead four days. Isn't it good to know that Jesus can raise up stinkers? I'm telling you the truth about it. He can do it. It don't matter how bad you stink. I'm telling you the truth about it. He can raise you up and he can turn it around. He said, roll away the stone and Lazarus come forth. And Lazarus come hopping out of that grave. He had been dead for four days. I was trying to make the Lord know that. I mean, you're a miracle worker. And I said, I know what the present circumstances are, but what is this that you're talking to me about? Divine destiny. Remember, he'll lead you and guide you into all truth. And this is the way he explained it to me. He said, divine destiny is the right of choice that I give to every human being that is born on this planet. He said, they are in charge of their destiny, not me. Many say this, and we hear it preached at funerals, and I'm not knocking anybody. I probably said it myself over the years because I have preached a lot of funerals. Why, in my family, because I'm a preacher, I got one brother that he marries him, and I bury him. I mean, that's just the way it is. He brings you into the fold, 
and I take you out of the fold. I mean, that's just kind of the way the family does. If somebody dies, I mean, distant kin or whatever, because a lot of them don't even go to church, I'll be honest. They don't have a preacher. They don't have a church. They don't have nobody there to help them and assist them during times of death, and that's really when you need help. You need good pastors. You need a good church. It's the truth. So the Lord said, according to divine destiny, said he's going to die. He said, divine destiny is the right of choice that I give to every human being that is ever born on this earth. And then when he said that, I don't know how to describe it, but he said it, it seemed audible to me. Perhaps if you'd have been there, you wouldn't have heard it, but it was because it was in the Spirit. But suddenly, I didn't hear his voice, but I got a revelation. And I don't know how to describe it, but I got a revelation. I realized that God never sent anybody to hell, nor will he ever send anybody to hell. Now, don't throw me out yet. Wait till I get through. If you go to hell, it'll be because uh, that you bypassed the stop sign that stood on the hill of Golgotha where Jesus hung on that cross. He set a cross up there, and I called it a stop sign. And I realized then that God does not send people to hell. They go there of their own free will and volition. He don't want anybody to go to hell. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Isn't that right? All should come to repentance. That's what he said. And he said, unbeknownst to you and many in his family, he said, Danny has secretly been making plans to die. He said, now, I want you to go back to the hospital and I want you to tell his family to release him and let him go because that's his desire. I said, Lord, you'll get me killed. My Lord, his boys are bigger than I am. They eat a lot of cornbread and butter beans and black-eyed peas. I'm telling you the truth about it. And them boys love their daddy, I'm telling you. And he taught them to pray. I said, they liable to throw down on me in that room and they just squash me. He said, no, they're going to receive you. I said, Lord, can it, do I have to go right now? I said, Lord, can I postpone it till in the morning? He said, yes, I'll let you go in the morning. So I didn't realize, though, how much people had authority in their life. He said, Danny has made the choice that he wants to come and be with me. And he said, that is why no amount of fasting or prayer is going to change his situation, yeah. nor will the gifts of my spirit go into operation for him because he's requested that it not be so. Yeah. Yes. Huh? I said, oh my goodness. Now the pastors here can teach us a whole lot better than I am. <laughs> But it's called the authority of the believer. Brother Higgins even got some books on this. But I'd never had a revelation of it. And I didn't realize that Danny is in charge. God's not going to kill him. And I knew the devil wasn't going to kill him. While I was down there praying, the Lord gave me a, a four-point sermon. And he said, you preach this four points because they're going to ask you to preach this funeral, which they did. He said, you preach this. And he said, it's going to spare the church and the church will not split. And of course... Reverend Doc Horton was called in because he was a good friend of this pastor friend of mine and I had to go to Reverend Doc Horton who's my senior and elder in the Lord by many years because he's gone to heaven now. But if you know Reverend Doc Horton, if you get to talk about catfishing and cornbread and all that kind of stuff, he'd just stand there and tell stories for an hour or two and, and I knew that that wasn't a place to do it. Even though he was a wonderful man, anointed of God, God had used him mightily. So I had to go to my elder and I had to talk to him. I said, I said uh, Reverend Doc, Doc Horton is his name. Good friends with Dad Hagen too. I said, you know, you know that you're here for Danny's funeral? Yes, I know. I said, and I said, uh, you know, the Lord has given me a message. And I said, I know you have a part in this, and they want you to say some words. You know, and I said, I'm glad. I said, but if you get up there, uh, Brother Doc, and, and, and you take a long, long time, I said, you know, you're going to wear the people out before I get there, and they may not receive this. He said, oh, boy. He said, don't worry about it. He said, I'll be brief and I'll be short. We'll let the Lord do what he's going to do. And I thought, well, I'm ready to see this miracle. Because I, 
<laughs> if you knew him, you know what I'm talking about. But he was a man of his word. He took eight to about seven to eight minutes, and that's all, which is proper. And he said a lot of good things about Brother Danny and everything like that. But then the Lord gave me a sermon, full point, showed me what to do, what to say. But anyway, in that sermon, the Lord told me to get up and tell the people now that the devil did not kill Pastor Danny because it's important they know that. He wanted me to tell the experience and tell why he went to heaven. He wanted me to tell that too. And he said, also tell them that sickness and disease did not kill Danny. He made the decision to go on. You understand? When he made the decision, that means he gave into it and embraced it. Isn't that right? And tell them, he said, that faith still works the same today as it did yesterday. So, I, I, you know, I went to bed that night. And remember, you taught me not to worry and fret. Remember that? If you visited one of the other services we had at the other church, you know I talked about this, about this morning, remember? About mamas worrying. Well, I was in the same shape. Mamas, you know, worrying about their babies. You know, I was, I was oh, my Lord, I don't want to do this. Somebody said, I want to stand in that office. Oh, do you? Come on. When you have to do stuff like this, oh, Lord. And I went back, and when I, I went at daylight, I opened the door in the hospital. When I opened it up, standing right against the wall, with her back to the wall, was Miss Ginger. That's his wife. She looked at me with, like, swords coming out of her eyes. She said, what did God say to you? I said, everything's going to be all right. I didn't say, he's going to be all right. I was doing the political two-step. You know what I mean? Everything's going to be all right because I knew God's going to work it out. You know what I mean? And... Uh, I said, uh, I didn't say he's going to be out. She said, no, I don't want to hear that. She said, I know the way you left here at 5 o'clock, that is not you. I've been knowing you for years, and she had. You've never left abruptly without saying goodbye, with no greeting whatsoever. You just walked out. She said, I know the Lord said something to you. I said, oh, Miss Ginger, I said, everything. She said, I don't want to hear that. Well, their boys are standing there, and they're looking at me. They're ready to fight me, you know. <laughs> yeah, they don't want to hear it either. I said, well, can we go talk privately? She said, yes. So we went out to the nurse's station, and I told the nurse, I said, is there a place that we could sit here in public, you know, but still be private? They said, yeah, there's a little place right here. Just sit right here. There's other nurses around. We ain't going to bother you. You know what I mean? So I sat there, and I said, uh, she said, well, what did he say? I said, well, yesterday evening, I felt Danny not helping me anymore. I sensed it spiritually. I don't know. I just, the way to tell it, I felt him. I lost him. He said, I went and prayed. And I said, the Lord told me, according to divine destiny, based on present circumstances, Danny, your husband, is going to heaven. I didn't say die because it was cold, you know. But the Lord said, die to me, you know. But I didn't say that to her. The Lord didn't mind, you know. I'm just interpreting it for her emotionally to be easier. And when I said it, she broke down and weeping and crying. And, and she began to weep and cry. Of course, the nurses come, try to console her. I try to console her too. Because she could just, a heartbroken wife, young husband, you know. When I say young, he was 49 years old. You know what I mean? And, and her, and they'd been married for years, raised her kids, you know, had pastored a church. And, and so you could tell she was distraught. But I said, now, I said, uh, Miss Ginger, I said, also, when I was praying, I said, the Lord said that you would have some information about Danny's death that you don't realize that you have. Because I told her about Danny has made the decision he wants to go and be with heaven. He said, you would know some things about this. She said, I do? I said, yes. I said, just stop now and think back over the last, say, year. Can you tell me anything that would might seem strange? And she sat there and she thought, you know, she was, you know, drying her eyes. The nurses are bringing her tissues and all those things, you know. She, she was kind of crying and sniffling, you know, how you know, shaking a little bit, you know, and, and, and like anybody would be doing. And she brightened up a little. She said, oh, yes, I remember. She said, one night we were sitting in our living room. His recreation sometimes was watching Matt Dillon. He liked to watch old Matt Dillon and eat popcorn and drink Coca-Colas. That was his little relief, you know what I mean? He liked to draw on Matt, you know, to see if he could outdraw him or whatever. 
And he just kind of liked that kind of thing. He was just that way. He was geared that way. You just had to know him. He's a pretty big fella himself, you know. But uh, she said, one night we were sitting in the living room. She said, I had just popped some fresh popcorn, and he liked his poured out in the bowl. He didn't want to reach in the sack and get it because it gets the butter all over your hands, you know. I don't know why, but he, she said, I brought him a, a fresh bowl, and he's kicked back, and he's relaxing, you know. He don't have anything on his mind. He's not trying to carry anybody else's problems or nothing. He's just going to rest, and you need to rest. You need to relax. You know, Jesus said, come apart in the desert place, you know, and rest a while. She said, I handed him that popcorn, and I walked across, and she had a little rocking chair. She liked to rock. So she had a rocking chair. He had to wear recliners, you know, set back. You know, it might hover above the ground. I don't know. But anyway, he had him a recliner. She said, just right out of the blue, this is what she said. He said to Ginger. He said, Ginger? He said, when I die, I want Randy Greer to preach my funeral. That was a year earlier. And she said, I would start, said, Danny, don't talk like that. You're not going to die. Then she told me a few other things that I'll not share, but told me a few other things about it. But then she told me this. She said, for the last two weeks at our home, Danny has been seeing men standing in our house, and I can't see them. I said, what do you mean? She said, he would say things to me like, do you see them two fellows standing over there? And he would point to an area of the room. And she would look, startled, thinking he's crazy, you know. You have to be married to somebody for a while to know that. But anyway, (laughs) looking over there and pointing, don't you see them two fellows? She said, no, Danny, there's not nobody over there. He said, oh, yes, they are. She said, who are they? He said, they're angels. She said, what are they doing in our house? He said, they're waiting on me. And almost every day for two weeks, he would tell her about those angels. You know, you're not going to heaven by yourself. You're going to have an escort. We might get up a load tonight if y'all don't stop me. I'm telling you the truth about it. The angels of God come, and sometimes they're in manifestation. You might not see them. Sometimes they're in my services. I just don't say anything. They used to be in Dad Hagen's services a lot. In his latter days, remember Michaelini and Micanini? They would be in his services. After Dad Hagen moved to heaven, I said, Lord, he don't need them no more. I'll take them. Can I borrow him? I mean, they had a good track record with him. So she said, and then they went began to look back, and there were signposts where he was leaving little remarks and doing little things that he had never done before. He had his finances in order. I mean, just all kinds of things he was doing. Insurance policies, things like that that he had never really done, you know. He was doing all those things. And then one of his sons... Talked to me and told me some things his daddy was doing. And she said, well, I know it. I realize it. She said, I sensed it all the time that he was going to die. Of course, she didn't want him to. She said, now, you've got to go in that room and tell my boys what you told me. I said, oh, Miss Ginger, I don't want to do that. <laughs> she said, because I talked to her. I didn't go into the whole story I told her, told you. But I learned this from Dr. Kenneth e. Hagin, and I learned it in experience too, but I first heard it from him. There's such a thing as the gates of death. There's another thing called the jaws of death. When you drag out somebody moving to heaven, you can hold them here sometimes too long. And it makes it hard on everybody, you know what I mean? And we have authority in that area to love ones. Not everybody, but loved ones. And, of course, we don't want to let some, you know, run somebody off or, or kill them or nothing. You don't want to do that, but you, you want to hang on people as long as you can. But there's times it's best if you just let people go on and then the healing process can take place, you know, among people. The sadness and the sorrow, you know, we've gone through and people will get, get on through it, you know. And so I talked to her about that. She said, well, I don't want our family to go through the jaws of death 
She said, I want us to go through the gates of death. Even though, you know, we don't, we don't want him to die. We need him. His sons need him. He said, but you need to talk to him. So I said, okay. I'd done the Lord had helped me and anointed me. You know, oh boy, but I was still nervous. I didn't want to go tell him. I didn't want to tell his mama. I didn't want to tell his daddy. I didn't want to tell his children who loved him and loved me. I'd, I'd come up with them, you know. I'd known them, his children since they was knee-high to a grasshopper jumping ditches with soda crackers. You know what I mean? From the time they was babies. You know what I mean? I knew them. I didn't want to tell them that. But uh, I walked in the room, and Ginger just was with me, you know. And she said, boys. And she called her daughter-in-law's name, and, and she said, uh, uh, called his mama, too. And said, Randy heard from the Lord, and we need to listen to what he's got to say. And I turned and looked, and I seen Jason. You know, and oh, he had taken over the church, you know, and everything. And I could tell, oh, it was like daggers coming out of his eyes. He didn't want to hear what I had to say. I could just tell you, he was picking up on it. And, uh, and I looked around, though, and I didn't see Mr. Bobby. I called him Mr. Bobby. Mr. Bobby was a very wealthy man. In fact, if in, in the political arena, if you wanted to carry the county, Marion County, South Carolina, you had to go through Mr. Bobby to get it. That's how much influence he had in the county. And how much money he had. But he, he was a good man. To start with, he was rough and tough around the edges. But later in life, he softened up, you know. And the Holy Ghost was able to mend him a little bit. So I said, well, I don't want to say this without Mr. Bobby being here. I called him that out of respect, you know. I said, well, somebody get Mr. Bobby. One of the boys shot out of the room, said he's downstairs. Because he stayed at the hospital around the clock, you know. So he went down there and got him said... Uh, Papa, they called him Papa, said, come up here, Brother Randy wants to tell us something he heard from the Lord, and of course all the church members are down there, and they heard him saying it, and they're trying to come, you know, so it's a stampede, and so the nurse had to hold them back, so they got in the room, and then uh, I started telling them exactly, I'm not going to go through the whole story again, but I told them exactly what had happened, how I left out of the room, they knew it. And then when I told them that, of course immediately Jason spoke up, Jeremy spoke up, and they said, Daddy told us not to quit praying and not to give up on him as long as there was breath in his body. Don't quit believing in faith, and I'm not going to quit. I said, well, you can do what you want to, Jason. I said, I'm right here with you. I said, I'm for you. You know, I wouldn't lie to you. I loved your daddy as much as you do. I said, I'm here in behalf of your daddy because your daddy called me in the Spirit to come because he needed some help. And I said, I have promised him in the Spirit that I was going to help take care of you and watch over you and watch over your family and watch over this church. And I said, but you do what you want to do. So it took us a little while of going back and forth, you know, bantering, counter, you know, punching kind of, so to speak, but in a kind way. And then finally they relinquished. They realized this is it. And they said, okay, we're going to release him and we're going to let him go. They said, now, how do we do it? Well, I'd then been down this journey, you know, quite a few times, more times than I'd wanted to in life. And I said, just come stand around the bed. And I said, I'll show you. So I got there, and I just grabbed Danny's hand, and I, you know, held on to it. And I said, Danny, I said, I'm here at your request. And I said, I come because I heard you calling in the Spirit. That's a message in itself. It'd take me two hours to explain all that, but just accept my word for it. And there's some things you just can't say. You've got to learn them for yourself. You've got to experience them for yourself. But there's a deeper experience in God that really I believe most people can have if they'll press into it. Press into it. And I'm not lifting myself up because it wasn't for the mercy of God. I'd be gone long ago. But I was forced to pray. I mean, I have nowhere else to go but God. You know what I mean? And so I took his hand and started talking to him. I said, I heard you call me in the Spirit. I said, I'm going to take care of you boys. You know what I mean by that. Make sure that they're all right. Because they was all up in age and all in, you know, in their own doing their thing, making their own money, doing all that stuff. Because they raised them right. I said, I'm going to help that. And I said, uh, the church is going to be all right. I said, the Lord gave me a four-point message. To preach, you know, which is rare for me to have a four-point message. <laughs> you know, that's a miracle. That's a miracle of God. But to, to tell them, and I said, the church is going to be all right. I said, it's not going to fall apart. And I said, everything's going to be all right. And I said, I'm just here to tell you, I love you. 
You know, I've loved you from the time I first met you. He was one of my board members for many, many years. He was on my board at that same time, our ministry board. I said, everything's going to be all right, Brother Danny. I said, everything will be all right with your family. We're going to pray in the Spirit. We're going to, like you watch for them here in the Spirit, I'm going to help watch for them here, and we still do today. And I said, uh, but uh, I'm going to release you now. If you want to go to heaven, go ahead. And so here come the next one. Jason came next. You know, he's the oldest. So he got around, and of course, he began to talk to Daddy, you know. And of course, they wasn't a dry in the room because he's weeping and crying. He's a big man's man, you know, but he's talking to his Daddy and just telling him he loves him, you know. And just anything he wanted to say to him, I told him, just say it, you know. Regards of how it sounds, we're not recording you. You know what I mean? Do what you want to do. I'm here to support you. I'm here to help you. So he's got tears running down his cheeks because he loves his daddy like anybody would, you know. And he finally got to the place and he let his daddy go. Then Jeremy came, you know. And then, then the, of course, their, their wives are there with them when they're doing the talking and they're saying some things along with their husbands, you know. And then Jeremy and then the, the one they call the baby, he was the biggest one of all of them, you know. And uh, Jamie was his name. He's a big old giant thing like an elephant bull, you know. He's a bull, strong as a bull too, you know what I mean. And uh, he got there and he said a few words because he's very quiet, more of an introvert, you know. Said a few things. And then Ginger came up. And then uh, Mr. Bobby, remember him? Mr. Bobby all of a sudden let out this blood-curdling cry. And he said, I knew my baby was going to die. I knew my baby. Now, his baby was 250 pounds, six foot three, but that's still his baby. And it shocked him. He took off down the hospital hall, you know, out of the room and all that stuff. And I, I went out quickly, you know, and got up with him and hugged him, you know, and he just sobbed. You would have mean an elder man, but, you know, big strong man, but an elder man. I said, Come on, Mr. Bobby. I said, It's going to be all right. He said, I appreciate you, Randy. He said, you was a son to me, and I was. I mean, I was at their home. I, I mean, for years, I knew them. They knew me. And uh, we had all prayed together, had fun together, all kind of things. I said, come on, Mr. Bobby. I said, you can do it. He said, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But anyway, he got back, you know, and he started to talking to Danny, telling him everything, you know, and it just would, you know, just break your heart when you hear him doing that, you know, and nobody's you know, silent, they're all crying and weeping. And then Ginger, his wife, she tells him goodbye. And I'm standing across on one side of the bed in the hospital room. His mother, Miss Wallace, I call her Miss Wallace, she stood on the other side. And uh, when it come her time, I looked up at her as an indication, you know, go ahead. And she looked at me. And this is what she said. She said, that is my baby. And I am not going to let him go. And I said, Miss Wallace, that's fine with me. I said, I'll be right here with you. I said, if you don't want to let him go, that's fine with me. And I knew we had to unhook from that. Because until she let him go, he wasn't going to go. So she kind of got upset, irritated at me. And you could understand that. And... uh of course, I was in her home not real long ago. I flew over there, you know, because she was having problems physically. And so I went to see her because I knew Danny would want me to. Make sure she's going to be all right. Prayed with her because they thought she was going to go out of here. And we just fooled the doctors and medical science. You know what I mean? Thank God for that. Jesus is still the miracle worker. But she kind of stormed out of the room in a huff. You know what a huff is? She might have been in a huff in a puff. You know what I mean? But it was out and she was gone that day the next day she came back I didn't see her and I wouldn't like her because she'd been there praying and she knew how to pray she was a prayer warrior like these folks are around here she knew how to pray but she had went and she got on her knees and prayed because she told me about it she came back in and the first thing she done she apologized to me and I said, oh, Miss Wallace, I didn't think nothing about it. And I didn't. I, I, I really didn't. I wouldn't harbor any bitterness. I understood her. She said, I prayed. She said, I had to hear from God for myself. I know you've heard from God, but I had to hear from God. I said, I understand, Miss Wallace. She said, I'm heard from God, and I'm going to let my baby go. 
I said, where's Mr. Bobby? She said, well, he's uh, downstairs. He don't want to come up here. I said, well, Miss Wallace, I said, before you talk to him, I said, let me go get Mr. Bobby. Because I knew it was going to be quick, you know. And I didn't want him to be out of the room when it happened. You know what I mean? He, he may look at things a different way. It may, you know, I didn't know how it would affect him. So I went down and talked to him. I don't want to be there. He was, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. I, I just don't want to, I don't want to hear. I can't hear my wife talk to him. I can't. I said, Mr. Bobby, I said, I think it'd be the best thing you ever done. I said, he said, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I said, I understand. It's hard for me. Anyway, he came back. And she began to talk to him. Only like a mama could talk to her baby. Oh, my Lord. Heart rending. A nurse came in. She got to squalling. All of us are squalling. I mean, it was just a squalling mess. It was a honking and everything going on, you know, blowing the noses and, and all that. Mama telling her how much she loved her baby and all that and how she was going to see him again. You know, all those things that people will go through, you know. Because Mr. Bobby is standing there. He's just weeping and sobbing. Weeping inside, and she told him goodbye finally, you know. Took her a while, that don't matter. She, at least she got it out. Took her a while and said, goodbye. You know, you can go now. You can rest now because you want to go. I'm going to release you. As your mama, she says, I release you because you want to go to heaven. And I'm not going to stop you no more. I've stood in your way. I realized I was wrong. I said, I'm going to let you go. She said, I still believe in faith. I still believe in miracles, and I'm going to pray for them. And so when she'd done that, it was just a few minutes that he took his last breath, and he went up into the glory world. And the Spirit of God came on me, and just right out of my spirit, Scriptures began to come out. And I began to quote Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, not because I'd memorized them, because the Holy Ghost was bringing them out of me. It was comforting everybody in the room, even me. But we have authority more so than what we think. The Lord said, and that's why no amount of fasting and prayer is going to change his situation, nor will the gifts of my spirit go into operation for him. Why? Because he's requested that they not be so. When I preach ministers' meetings sometimes, directly to ministers, I'll share about this because... Uh, and, and, and some other things and experiences I've had and encourage them. Because sometimes pastors especially that have faith, that know how to believe God, and others that's prayed for people, and then the person they prayed for died anyway. You know what I mean? And you wonder why. Well, there's some things that we just don't know. It's not because that we've missed it or we're not up on standards with God. It may just be because of somebody like Pastor Danny Wallace. The only reason we knew that he'd made the decision to go to heaven is because the Lord told me. And then as we examined it through his family, he'd been telling everybody. But we just didn't see the signpost. We couldn't read the message. But now it was apparent. You know, you tell somebody a year before you die, I want Brother Randy to preach for a funeral. He's 48 years old. What are you talking about dying for? It's time to talk about living, not dying. What time is it? You want one more story? Just, just one more easy one. To lighten it up a little bit. I know that's kind of heavy. But let me tell you the story about divine destiny and a lady named Mistress Aretha Hagen. She had had back in those days, she had a growth. They, you know, they called them a gorder, gorder. And it was in her throat area. And it grew up, a large growth. Grew up to the point that it was choking her. At times, she couldn't get her breath. She was not swallowing her food or eating correctly. And she, in surgery in those days is not like it is today. Medical science, this is way on back yonder, you know. And uh, she just knew, she had sensed that if she had surgery on that gorder to remove it, that she would die. So there was kind of a, not to uh, confess fear, but a hidden fear that if I have a surgery, I'm going to die. Dad Hagen said he'd picked up too, that she was going to die young because of this quarter. He knew that if she had surgery on that, that she was going to die. I'm talking about the authority of the believer. And more authority. You've got more authority than what you think. If you'll spend time praying, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord has an answer to every question that you could ever have on this earth. 
He's got a solution to any problem that you could have. And if you'll get in his presence and to seek his face, he'll give you the solution. He'll help you out of your situation regardless of what it is. So Dad Hagen got to praying about it because he knew she was going to die young. And he would say things to the Lord like this. He said, Lord, I need my wife. And my children need their mother. And he said, I've just got her trained good. <laughs> These wives don't like to be trained. Now, what he was talking about was this. They had learned how to work together in the ministry and be a blessing to people. You know what I mean? And she had been what he called a world champion worrier. You remember at one time she worried about everything? And then finally, he wouldn't worry about things and it would upset her. One day, they were going in the house and she got mad at him. I know preachers are not supposed to get upset and mad and all that stuff. Remember, you don't want me doing a marriage seminar. But anyway, he had said something about not worrying about something. And he said, she said to him, because he was opening the door, he had, I think, Ken in his hand. Ken, Pastor Hagen today. You know, it was a little boy, so he had him up in his hand, toddler. And he had, she had Pat, the little girl, his daughter, which would be Pat Harrison today, you know, in her hands. And she said, well, talking to Dad Hagen, Kenneth Hagen, said her husband, you know, I guess you wouldn't worry if me and the kids fell dead right now. He said, why should I need to worry then? That's the wrong thing to say. <laughs> If you're married, that's the wrong thing to say, men. Don't say that. It just popped out of him. And so what he was talking about, she finally learned just to practice a word. And cast your cares upon the Lord. And he said, I need my wife. My children need their mama. He said, Lord, don't let my wife die. I'm talking about authority. He said, I sense that if she has surgery on this gorder, he said that she's going to die. Lord, heal her, you know, help her, but don't let her die. So one night, he'd been praying along this line, you know, for a while. He was preaching a service. At the end of the service, kind of a spirit of prayer fell on the audience. That used to be common, and it's coming back to us, you know. We have it periodically, but I believe it's coming back. So he was sitting there on the steps of the platform, praying in the Spirit, and suddenly, right there in front of him, about three foot, there stood Jesus. He said he saw Jesus just as real as we see one another right now. And Jesus said this when he appeared to him. He said, I've come to answer your prayer. Whoo, we have authority. And Dad Hagen said, I knew immediately what he was talking about. No doubt he had a lot of prayers. He knew he was talking about Miss Aretha Hagen, who we call Mom Hagen, who was his wife. He said, I've come to answer your prayer. He said, according to divine destiny, now he didn't describe to him what that was. He said, it was in divine destiny that she die young. He said, but just because you've asked me, he said, she's going to live by the way, let me tell you the end of the story before I get to the end. She outlived him. Because when I got the call about him, I thought it was her. But he had went into a hospital room and asked the other people to leave, and he shut the door, and when he came out, she was all right. And she actually outlived him. But uh, he said, Son... I'm going to do this for you just because you asked me. Even though it was, in divine, it was divine destiny or her destiny that she die young with this gorder. Now, not that God put it on her. God don't put gorders on people. You understand? But that's just the way it was going to work out. She was going to live her life. She wasn't going to make it because this uh, gorder was going to kill her. You know what I mean? That's the way it was designed. The devil had designed to take her out. He said, but just because you've asked me, he said, I'm going to let her live. And then he said something. He said that blessed him then, and he said it's blessed him every time he thought about it from then on, and it'll bless you when you hear it. This is what Jesus told him. He said, oh, how I long to do for my children. 
if they would only ask me and believe me in faith. He said, I'll always answer their prayers and meet their needs. He said, now, go tell your wife to have surgery on the gorder. said, why didn't he just heal her? Couldn't he have done it? Yes, he could. said, why didn't he just heal her? You asked me the question. Come on, go to heaven with me. We'll ask him when we get there. I don't know. He said, you go tell her to have surgery on the gorder. And it's going to, she's going to come through it with flying colors, so to speak. I'm just paraphrasing. And she said she's going to heal quickly and everything's going to be fine. So they went to the doctor and told him about it. And they wanted to do the surgery. And the doctor said, oh, you know, this is bad. You, you may not come through it. And then they get that stack of papers. Remember that stack of papers they bring out there to you? You know what? The papers you sign at the end and you don't read all the fine print, remember? They try to talk to you, but you're so nervous you don't hear everything they're saying. Basically, what you do is when you sign the paper, it says, if you kill me, it's all right. Sign right here. That's what you... Because <laughs> they call it practicing medicine, you know what I mean? Practicing medicine. And I'm, I thank God for medical science. Thank God for all the good doctors and nurses and everybody. I'm not against them, you know. But thank God. Just sign right here. If we kill you, it's all right, you know. And so the doctor told her how bad it was. They said they didn't worry, didn't have a care, nothing like that. And she come right through, had the gorder, had the surgery. And guess what? She outlived Dan Hagen. Many years later, but it was in her destiny that she died. That gorder was going to kill her. But just because you asked me, oh, how much authority you have. Oh, what you can believe for. Oh, what you can see God do in your life. If you'll only trust Him and believe Him. I'm telling you, God is a good God. And He wants to meet your needs. He wants to answer your prayers. And He will supernaturally do that. If you'll spend time just believing Him and in seasons of prayer, He'll answer your questions and He'll meet your needs. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.